morning, church. So glad that you've chosen to be here today in worship. I want to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. And I really encourage you always to bring God's Word when we gather to worship. Some of you have it in a printed copy like this. Others of you have an electronic version. That's okay. But I want you to follow along so that you can see that the words I'm saying are supported by the words of Scripture. That's where the power is. That's the most important words that you'll hear this week or, or any week. I also want to encourage you to find something that maybe you could jot down some of these spiritual truths, these nuggets of gold, because we need this when we leave this place We need to take those with us into the week. Before we get into that passage, I want to take just a moment and share some words from my heart, just some personal words from the shepherd. This has been a busy time, both for our church and and for me personally. Uh, This week, I had the privilege on Tuesday uh, to go down to Southwest Florida and represent you and represent our denomination, our Florida Baptist Convention, and encourage some of the disaster relief workers that are, are, are there. I was in Port Charlotte, and man, the damage is uh, quite devastating, but the work that is being done on your behalf is so, so deeply encouraging. And in fact, we're a part of that larger network of churches. It's called the Southern Baptist Convention. And if you were to ask me the one thing that, that makes me want to stay there more than anything else is probably what we do in moments like these, how we come to the aid of other people and help with disaster relief. Uh, so there are others being the hands and feet of Jesus on your behalf. You have the opportunity to go and do that as well. We're providing you that opportunity, but I was able to represent and just encourage on your behalf on Tuesday. When I came back here, uh, this place was still full because we used our facility as a community facility on that evening, partnering with the Temple Terrace Police and, and inviting community members to come in and have a time of encouragement. It was a great representation for you then as well. Uh, as I serve as the president of the Florida Baptist Convention, my schedule's heating up a little bit. I leave this evening and am preaching in, on the other side of the state of Florida and Then later in the week, I'm preaching in Central Florida before we gather back here again next Sunday morning. So I appreciate your prayers, uh, just that God would give me wisdom and and discipline, uh, even with my schedule. But on Friday of this week, we we gathered as a church to to celebrate the life uh, of one of our faithful long-term members. Some of you know him, uh, some of you did not. His name was Ron Govan. Mr. Govan was an influential part of this church and, and even an influential part of this community and, and frankly, the whole Tampa community for a lot of years. His story is a great story. It's kind of one of those American dream stories. He comes from a Cuban-American family that found success here and he became a, a successful businessman. But in the midst of that success, he, he, never, he never walked away from his his faithful walk with Jesus Christ. He understood what it was like to, to do what I wish so many of, of you would, would lean into. He understood what it was like to live out his faith in the marketplace, recognizing that not everybody's going to be a preacher or a musician or a missionary, but wherever God plants you and whatever God calls you to do, he wants you to serve him faithfully. He loved his church He loved this church. Saturday a week ago after I left our Saturday morning prayer time, I went to visit him. He was 
in hospice just a couple of blocks from here. And in those first few moments, he passed from this life into the next. It was a, a sweet, peaceful time. But, but here's something we understand as Christ followers. Um, when someone's life ends, we don't pray for them anymore. It's not part of the Christian faith that we pray for those who are dead. We thank God for them and we pray for their family. And so I instantly began to do that. Just thank you, God, for Mr. Ron. And oh, God, would you wrap Miss Judy in your arms? She's here in this service. We love her so much. And man, so it was a sweet time to pray. But, but after a few minutes of, of that kind of prayer, I, I began to pray a different prayer. And that's what I want you to hear from my heart. You, you see, I, I recognize that after serving here over 11 years, that you, you begin to see that some of these leaders in our faith family are passing away. And God's not replacing them in the same way. And so I began to cry out to God just while it was me and Mr. Ron or Mr. Ron's earth tent that were hanging out there. And I said, oh God, would you just raise up some more leaders like him? Would you raise up others who would give of their life wherever they are, putting others and you before themselves? What does that look like? Well, I begin to pray, God, would you raise up men and women who serve the Lord faithfully, whatever their profession? God, would you raise up men and women who love your word Mr. Ron was a navigator early in his life, and so he had, he had taken those little cards. Some of you have done this, and he memorized Scripture. He loved, and then he lived by the Word of God. I, I began to pray, God, would you raise up men and women who look for opportunities to share their faith? Early in life, he was trained in evangelism explosion down under Dr. D. James Kennedy and, and Coral Gables, and and he worked with the Billy Graham organization when they would come to this area. He, he, he shared his faith in his church. But more importantly, he just did it on a daily basis where he, he worked in the company that he, re, he, he started in latter years called Mark Master. I began to pray, God, would you raise up men and women who love their church? Who are loyal to their church? Who support their church financially and sacrificially and understand they don't always have to agree but they, they never get to be disagreeable as I was meeting with Miss Judy and the family I, I, I later learned that when he was 32 years old Ron went on a navigator's trip and on that trip, God exposed him to a verse in the Bible. This is the verse. It's Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. 30. It says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap and on behalf of the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. Miss Judy told me that Ron came home from that trip and, and he said that was his mission that he wished to be that man. When I preached a service from his Bible, uh, that verse was underlined and it was marked 1269, a few months after I was born. And so for more than the last 50 years, he's been that kind of man. He stood in the gap. Man, I want to be that kind of man too. As a result, I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm giving the best I've got 
I'm giving the best years of my life to, to serve this church and to serve this community. Sometimes that's not what I want. Sometimes that's not the easiest or most comfortable thing. But standing in the gap never is. And so on this day, I'm just asking you, would, would you pray if God wants you to be that kind of man, that kind of woman who steps up when everybody else is stepping back, who stands in the gap when, when others have tucked tail and run? You know, one of the ways Mr. Ron and Miss Judy did that faithfully was through their financial gifts. And so every time we gather, we, we talk about the importance of giving financially and some people do that through their phones on an app, like I'm about to demonstrate. Some people plan that online, or they give it in our giving boxes, or, or they send it in. I want to encourage you, don't underestimate the importance of being a faithful giver. The reality is in our church, the ministries that you enjoy, the ministers who serve you, they won't be here without your faithful giving. So I want to encourage you to be faithful, even as our family tries to do, and um, it's simple. The reason I have my phone is because I'm showing you how simple it is. In the moments that I've started talking while holding the phone, I gave, and we gave generously, and we gave sacrificially. Stand in the gap. You won't regret it. Let's pray together. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we again say thank you. Thank you for examples and testimonies like Ron Govan. Lord, there's a lot of those in these recent years that we've seen come on into their eternal re reward. I think of folks like Miss Barbara Yost. I, I think about the Reeds. Paul and Priscilla, and there's so many more. Too many, Lord, it's hard. Yet we thank you for their example, their life well lived. Lord, we pray for those like Miss Judy that need us now more than ever, need our strength. Thank you for the body of Christ. Lord, we also thank you that in moments like these, we can come together and we can look to you and we can hear from you and we can receive from you that which only you can give. So that's what we ask today. Lord, as we open your word, it is perfect and true. So speak. We're listening. Give us what we need that we don't have. Teach us what we've not yet learned. Lord, make us new. And Begin with me. God, let the words I say and even my thoughts please you. And Lord, oh God, please don't let us walk away the same. And for this we say thank you in advance. As I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're in this series called Brand New Me. Because the book of Romans teaches us how to experience transformation in Christ. If I were to put a title on today's message, I would say it's how to experience abundant life and abiding peace. Because I think that's something, frankly, after a lifetime around churched people, 
A lot of people who profess Christ don't seem to have it. Their, their lives don't seem to be fulfilling. And they seem to be overcome by worry and anxiety. And, and, and rather than abundant life and a abiding peace, it, it seems like life is often meaningless and scrambling and full of worry and anxiety. And, and that's not God's intent. So how do you move beyond just professing him or, or, or praying a prayer or, or checking a box and, and living a life that, that really is making a difference, not just for you, but in your little corner of the world. I think Romans 8 tells us how. I, I think in this passage of scripture, you find the secret, really the secret sauce. In fact, the great American evangelist D.L. Moody, he said, I would rather live in Romans 8 than in the Garden of Eden. Now, why would he say something crazy like that? He said, because in the Garden of Eden, having everything God offered, Adam and Eve still sinned, and they faced the judgment of God, and they were separated from God. But in Romans chapter 8, it begins with no condemnation, and it ends with no separation. You get the best that God has to offer. So look at how it begins. This is Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there it is again. That word therefore that causes us to look in the rearview mirror or the camera now that's showing what's behind us. Why is it there? What is Paul talking about? What is he looking back to? And, and really, it's this whole book of Romans that we've journeyed through so far. It's the reality that, that we have the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that as those who possess that, as he says in chapter 1 and verse 16, we are not ashamed of that. And it's that gospel that motivates everything that we do. You, you could summarize these first few chapters in what some have called the Romans road. We haven't completed the road, but we've got through a lot of it. For example, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just reminds us we're all in this together. None of us are good enough on our own. The best of the best and the worst of the worst, they stand on level ground at the foot of the cross. We all need the same amount of Jesus and throughout history, that's been hard for people like us to understand, and it's caused us not to embrace the verse we just read. Because we think, how in the world could that axe murderer, how could that serial killer, how could they receive the same grace that my child receives who, who, who became a follower of Jesus early in life and, and lived a life without all those, all those flashy sins? And yet that's what Scripture says, all have sinned. The result of that sin is punishment, and God's punishment is death, but Romans 5, 8 tells us that God demonstrates his own love for us. In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get better. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, that's good news, church. And so that next verse that we've learned is Romans 6, 23, and it says, yes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so even when you understand that, though, the struggle is real. And that's where we've spent several weeks in 
Romans chapter 7, because it's just confusing. We, we know the truth, but we don't do the truth we know. Or as Paul said it in Romans chapter 7 and verse 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. And we find ourselves there. We've understood the truth of the gospel. We've trusted Christ and yet we leave a foot in this world and we not only fail, we then walk in shame because of that failure. And so he summarizes this in chapter 7 and verse 24 when he says, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? If Romans 8 is one of the most encouraging chapters in the Bible, Romans 7 may be one of the most discouraging. It's depressing. We're in this battle. How do we live this out? Paul says, I feel like I'm chained to a dead body on my back and it's decaying and rotting and death is all around me. How do I go forward? I'm a wretch. (laughs) But even in that chapter, he, he points to his hope. Look at verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ my Lord. Hey, a healthy walk is always recognizing where you are, but never keep the focus on yourself. Always look to Jesus and who he is and and what that means about your life. So with that in mind, listen to how this verse sounds differently. He's just said, I'm a wretch. How do I go forward? I've got a body changed to me, but Jesus, therefore... Because of the deliverance of Jesus Christ our Lord, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? Jesus took our condemnation. And we get his justification. He now looks at us and he doesn't see that condemned sign across us. He looks at us and it's just as if we've never sinned. In fact, some have said that Romans 8.1 is like the flip side of the coin of Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we've been justified with faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That gives you the context. Now I want to read eight verses, tell you two things before we pray. Look at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because, this is the why, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit, they have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. 
those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Now we're going to dissect this, but before we do, I want you to look look at verse 6, and and particularly a phrase in verse 6. This is what it said. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Now remember, that's what we said we want. I want abundant life, and I want to abide in peace. How do I get that? Well, it's, it's told in that phrase, right? My mind, that which guides me, has to be governed by the Spirit of God. So let's talk about how we get to that place. Number one, if you want abundant life and abiding peace, you must understand and accept what Jesus has done for you. And after all my life in the church, 30 plus years serving in ministry, I've come to the understanding that most people who profess a faith in Jesus Christ are not living their lives as if they truly understand and have applied what Jesus has done for them. So one more time, let's look at Romans 8, 1. This time, let's read it aloud together. You ready? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. John Piper says, the Bible's the greatest book in the world. And Romans is the greatest book in the Bible. And chapter 8 is the greatest chapter in Romans. And Romans 8, 1 is the greatest verse in the chapter. Someone else put it this way. They said, you know, the Bible is the gold ring and Romans is a diamond on the ring and Romans 8.1 is a sparkle in the diamond. This is an encouraging verse. This verse may be the most encouraging verse in all the Bible because it speaks to how you live out your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a big deal. It's saying if you are in Jesus, there's no condemnation in you. I want to look at that word by word. We've already talked about therefore, so we'll move on to the next one. The next word is therefore there is now. Why does he say now? Paul wants us to understand the power of now. He's saying that when you trust Jesus, when you look to Christ, you become externally and eternally secure right now. He's saying when you trust Jesus and you look to Christ, you become internally free right now. He's saying when you look to Jesus and you trust Christ, you become positionally righteous right now. What God does for you, he does in the moment and he trusts, he takes you from your past and he moves you into the now. So here's my question. Are you living in the now or are you living in the past? You see, a lot of us are dragging the past into the now. And it's causing us to miss out on God's best for our life. And here's how it works. You look at your failures. You look at the way you've blown it. You look out at the things that didn't turn out the way God wanted them to turn out. Instead of leaving that at the cross... You're chained to shame. And you're living your life in a way that God doesn't see you. Chuck Swindoll, I love what he says about this. He says, nothing will drag you more quickly to a halt and pull you towards sin than shame. Maybe you need to be reminded of that old preacher cliche 
The next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Remind him that he's defeated, that God's already given you victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you trust Christ for your salvation, you experience his justification. Remember, we've said that again and again. He makes it just as if you've never sinned. So when he looks at you, he sees you clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's why I said you are positionally righteous. You are saved. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. All the old has passed away. All things have become new. In that entrance, in that moment, you're saved from the penalty of sin. Remember, you're justified. Now, our salvation is ongoing, right? So then we are saved from the power of sin. We're sanctified. One day we'll be saved from the presence of sin. We will be glorified. But we're saved. What are you saved from at that justification? You're saved from condemnation. Now, there's one of the most famous verses in the Bible that speaks to this. Listen to it. John 3, 16. You know it? Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now notice the very next verse. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Why? Look at the next verse. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands, what does it say? Condemned already. Because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Understand this. You don't have to do anything to be condemned. Because we're all sinners, right? And one sin condemns us. But when you look to Christ, there's no more condemnation. We're the walking dead. But when we're in Christ, we become alive in him. So now speaks to that instantaneous nature of our salvation, but it also speaks to the eternal security of our salvation. We could, we could spend our entire time here, and probably we should come back and do that, because a lot of you struggle with this issue of eternal security. In, in our faith tribe, we call that once saved, always saved. And we struggle because we think, how can that be? I mean, how can that guy on death row, how can he get the same thing I get? I really tried my best. Or we think, man, you don't know how I blew it. You don't know what I've done. There's no way I deserve God's grace. And yet the Bible teaches that's the way it works. Listen to what Jesus said in John 5 and verse 24. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, not will have, not could have, not should have, has eternal life and will not be judged, but has, there it is again, not will have, not could have, not should have, has crossed over from death to life. When you begin that relationship with Christ, your eternal salvation is secure right now. And because, because God knew we would struggle with this, he's given us this verse in the Bible, 1 John 5, 13, that says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So really take your Bible in your hand that you're holding. Take your Bible in your hand. 
Hold it up. Now, this is a secret way I can see if you brought it or not, okay? <laughs> Hold up that phone at least. Pretend to. All right. He's saying, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. God doesn't want you to live in doubt. He doesn't want you to live in fear of your eternal security. He wants you to know that you can have that and you can have it now. Give him praise, church. He is good to us. The next word I want us to look at is the word know. It says, there is therefore now no. So here's a question for you. What does no mean? That's right. No means no. This is not a hard one. Literally, he's saying, there is not one condemnation in you. If you are in Christ, there's not one condemnation in you. Now, that's important because earlier we've learned that all it takes is one sin for me to be separated from God. You understood that, right? All have sinned. And so the best of us and the worst of us, we're in the same boat. Let me see if I can illustrate that to you. Uh, suppose, Dr. Stock, I, I, wanted to, um, I wanted to do something special for you. And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cook my famous five-egg omelet. And so I invite you over to my house, and I get all the ingredients there. I got the eggs. I got the, it's a loaded omelet. It's got ham and bacon. Thank you, Jesus. And lots of cheese and uh, no onion. Nope, no onion. But all, all the good stuff. And so I start cracking the eggs, and I crack the first one, and we're just talking, talking about all your cars and good things going on in your life. I crack the second egg, and we're still talking. Crack the third egg, fourth egg, we're talking. I get to that fifth egg, and I take it out of the carton, and it looks kind of funny. I just kind of smile and wink at you, and I crack that egg, and whoo, when I crack it, it's rotten. It stinks. It smells bad. But what am I going to do? I promised Dr. Stock my five-egg omelet, so I just take the egg, and I, I put it right there in the bowl, and I start mixing it in. Now, let me ask you, Dr. Stock, would you want to eat any of that omelet with that rotten egg? No, sir. All it takes is one rotten egg. All it takes is one sin. That's why it's such a big deal when God says, now, there is therefore not one ounce of condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. You see why it's so encouraging? You see why it leads us to an abundant life and abiding peace? Before we move on, though, let me just talk about that word condemnation. Because you need to understand it for all that it is. It speaks of a legal judgment, the rightful punishment, specifically the punishment after the sentence. Now, don't raise your hand about this, but some of you have gotten in trouble with the law and, and they've said, okay, this is your sentence, and maybe that's a fine that you have to pay or maybe you've served some time in jail. Your sentence is the condemnation as a result of the crime that you've committed. And so if it were not for Jesus, our sentence would be what? Death. It's death. That's what we've learned. But now they're saying, there's no punishment because you've got Jesus. Many of us live as if we're saved by grace, but we think we're sanctified by our works. We just do our best to, to be better, and then we think about our past and we, we've, we just blow it. And here's what I've seen all my life. Sometimes... People end up just walking away. 
because they say, I'll never live up. By the way, think about who's writing this. Who wrote these words in Romans? The Apostle Paul. We first meet him as Saul. He's a Jewish religious leader who spent his life going around persecuting and, listen, murdering followers of Jesus. And yet he meets Jesus on a road in Damascus. And it changes his life. And so an interesting thing happens. Some of the Christ followers came around him and they begin to take him to hang out with other Christ followers. And you know what those Christ followers said? No! Don't you know that guy? Don't you know what he's done? Don't you know his past? And a guy named Barnabas stood up and spoke for him. You see, some of you have forgotten that the Bible's full of people who've had a past, but they've experienced God's grace. You can go all the way back to Abraham, right? Abraham was messed up in some ways. When he couldn't have a, a child, his wife looked at her maid and said, why not have a baby with her? And he said, works for me. <laughs> Yet God used him. Moses, Moses killed a guy because he got angry. He needed to go to anger classes, and, and yet God used him. David, everybody who lives knows about David's sin, and yet I was reading in the Old Testament this week, after it described David's sin and compared him to his son Solomon, it said, hey, you're not seeking God and living for him like your father David did. Peter, in the moment of truth, Peter couldn't even stand up to a little girl. He said, I don't know Jesus. I don't know who you're talking about. So, so don't think your past is such a big deal that, that God can't handle it. If you are in Christ. Now this is interesting. One more character from scripture. You remember Noah? We meet Noah because God is looking down on creation and he says, this place is a mess. It's no longer good. And so God is going to judge the world, but he, he tells Noah to build this ark of safety. And it says, hey, get everybody, you can get your family to come onto the ark. They thought Noah was crazy, but he did. What happened after Noah got his family on the ark? No, no, no. Before the rain, what happened? God, this is crazy. Look back at this story if you don't know it. God closed the door. And then he did something interesting. After he closed the door, he sealed it. And in the Old Testament, it's, he says he sealed it in our English with pitch, which is like tar or a sealant. And because Noah and his family were sealed inside the ark, they were in the ark. You following? They were safe. Now get this. That same word used in the Hebrew for pitch that God used to seal the door, when you translate that into Greek in the Old Testament, I mean in the New Testament, it's the word that we translate in English, atonement. So here's what happens. All of us are in danger of judgment because of sin. That's just the, that's the law. That's the way it works. 
but God demonstrated his love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that when we are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, he pays for our sin. It becomes the atonement of God. We are at one with God. And when we are in Christ, do you hear that church? When we are in Christ, there is no condemnation in us. So here's the question. Are you in Christ? See, that's a big deal. Are you in Christ? Some of you are living like victims when you should be walking in victory. Some of you are walking in victory, yet positionally you're still defeated. You got to be in Christ. Just two points. The next one's going to go pretty quick. If you want abundant life and abiding peace, you must understand and accept what Jesus has done for you. And then secondly, if you want abundant life and abiding peace, you must determine to live a spirit-led life. Now, this is interesting because all around us, people that hang out in faith places, they talk about the spirit. And there's so much confusion. Some people talk about the spirit as if it's a force, like some mystical, like it's going to come through the smoke machines. I just want the spirit or I feel goosebumps of the spirit. But the spirit of God is not a force. The spirit of God is a person. And in the book of Romans, we haven't heard much about the Holy Spirit of God, but now we're about to hear a whole lot. Because remember, Romans 8 is the counteracting medication to Romans 7. Romans 7, Paul talks a lot about I. If you look at the personal pronoun in Romans 7, you're going to find it about 20 times. I, 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 or me, 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 me. I mean, he's got an eye disease. And some of you have an eye disease. I mean, everything is about you. Remember, we learned that. I am the problem. Say this. Say, I am the problem. In Romans chapter 8, he doesn't talk about I and me. But we see the Holy Spirit of God mentioned about 20 times. And, and what he tells us is that we need to live our lives being led by the Spirit of God. Look at verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. What is he saying? He's saying that when you become a follower of Christ, a change of mind takes place. You need to understand that. That's what the word repentance means. In the Greek, it's metanoia. It literally means a change of mind that results in a directional change. So Paul is saying, you can't live with two minds. It's an either-or scenario. You're either living with the mind of Christ or you're living with a mind that's being governed by the things of this world. You've got to understand that. Yesterday in prayer time here, Mr. Bill Buckley, we were talking about Psalm 91 and I'll dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. And he said, you know, I recognize that that's where I want to dwell. I don't want to dwell on my street. That's just a physical address. I'm going to be there temporarily. I want to dwell in the presence of God. Is that what you desire? 
to have the mind of God in your life? If you're saved, the Spirit of God is indwelling you. And He doesn't leave. He's there to stay. I'll never leave you or never forsake you. But you still struggle with the flesh. You you still struggle with the decisions we want to make. It's two laws that are at war in your life. If I were to take this phone and just drop it onto the stage, what would happen? It would fall to the floor. It's not a hard question, church. I don't know. I didn't go to seminary. No. What do we call that? The law of gravity, gravity, right? So watch. Oh, I caught it. It Scares me. I'm going to break the phone. Law of gravity. But watch this. Same hand, same stage. You believe the law of gravity? It's the same law of gravity, same phone. What's happening? A different law has more power. It's a higher power. The strength of my arm is preventing the law of gravity from ruling over this phone. Now listen, that was good. Paul's saying there's two laws that are competing. There are two laws that are competing. competing. And one is this law of flesh, and it's out there. It's pulling you, saying, do this. It's going to make you feel good. Do that. It's going to feed your appetite for a season. Do that. You'll like it. And that's a real law. But he's saying now that you are in Christ, the law of the Spirit is more powerful than that. You are in a powerful hand. It can take control of whatever you do. You've just got to like let the presence of the Spirit of God pop out. Amen. Amen. How do you know whether or not you're living that way? Well, he says there are some characteristics of the mind that's governed by the flesh. The flesh is driven by selfish desire and self-glory and self-preservation and self-gratification and self-righteousness and self-sufficiency. But the flesh is never satisfied. If you find yourself in there, You're being guided by the flesh. And what happens when a Christ follower is guided by the flesh? What does the world call us? They call us hypocrites because they say, you're not being what you say you are. And that's because they don't understand this is a war. There's two competing laws. And though I know who I am and I know where I'm going, man, I still battle with the flesh. So what do I do? Anytime I feel that battle, I've got to lean in to the Spirit's presence in my life. Because the Spirit's in us, right? And wherever the Spirit is present, the fruit of the Spirit pop out. What are the fruit of the Spirit? This is how we should look. Look at Galatians 5. Fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what we want, guys. We want to live our life governed by the Spirit of God. To have a spiritual mindset, a a Spirit-led life. That's what God wants for you. And when we don't do that... We make a mess of everything around us. In fact, verse 8 kind of tells us how bad a deal it is. It says, those who are in the realm of the flesh 
cannot please God. Man, I want to please God. I want to stand in the gap. I want to live a life worthy of the calling. I want to represent Jesus right where I am in my little corner of the world. How do I do that? How do I please God? Glad you asked. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. How do I please God? It's faith. And it gets hard again, doesn't it? Because faith means I have to trust, not just do. Faith means I have to depend on someone else, not myself. But with faith, I please God. Oh, church, and I want you to be encouraged today, and you should be if you're a follower of Christ. If you are in Christ, there's no condemnation in you. Lean into him. But if you're in Christ, you should be looking like him. And so if you've got any of these areas where the flesh is just taken over, Maybe as a result of our time together, part of what you need to do is just say, Oh God, I recommit today to living a spirit-led life. And you know what that is doing? Once again, that's leaning in to him. There's a gentleman by the name of Anthony Showalter who lived in Alabama and he ran a singing school there. And he got home from work one day and he noticed there were two letters from two of his former students. And so he opened them and he began to read. And ironically, he noticed that both of these letters were his students telling them that their wives had died. And he loved these folks and so he, he was mourning and grieving with them and for them. So he re- sat down to write them a letter. But as he sat down to write the letter, a verse kept going through his mind. And it was Deuteronomy chapter 2. Here's what it says. The Lord your God is your eternal refuge. And underneath you are his everlasting arms. And so he sat down and he wrote a poem. And that poem became a song. And it's a song some of us grew up singing. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms, safe and secure from all alarm. I'm leaning on Jesus, leaning on Jesus, leaning on the everlasting arms. Would you bow your heads with me? What do you need to do today? You need to lean on Jesus. If you're a Christ follower, man, rest in that promise. There is now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. You recognize the war that's going on, the battle around you. You find the flesh taken over a little too often. Just lean into Jesus. Use this opportunity today to say, oh, Jesus, I just want to be led by your spirit every step of the way. 
but somebody's hearing these words and, and you've never begun that relationship with Christ. Can I encourage you to lean on Jesus for the first time today? To just recognize that you're nothing without him, that your sin separates you from him, and that his blood shed on the cross was for you, and that he forgives you, and he wants that relationship with you. But you, you've, you've got to trust him. You've got to lean into him. Maybe you'd pray this prayer right now. Maybe you'd just say this. Say, Jesus, I know how much I need you. I'm a sinner. Just acknowledge that. Say, I'm a sinner. I believe you died for me. And I know you're alive today. So I surrender. I'm looking to you, Jesus. I'm leaning on you, Jesus. I'm trusting in you, Jesus. I want that change of my mind. I want you, Holy Spirit, to govern my mind. So come into my life. And take control. I tell him thank you. Say thank you, Jesus. If you just prayed that prayer right where you're seated with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Would you just lift your hand up just quickly to let me know so I can just say welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the family of God, ma'am. Others of you, just real quick, put it right back down. Welcome to God's family. If you've done that, that's the most important thing you could ever do. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you that even today, you're changing lives. Even today, there are those who are now under no condemnation because of your great gift of forgiveness and life. So, Lord, we just lean into you. We've all got a story. Lord, we're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your mercy. Lord, we're thankful for your love. And we trust you now as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? Let's worship the Lord together.